1: I thought I'd try something new. Hi, welcome to Murder in the Land of Oz. My name's Jess. (laughs) And my name's
0: Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, I was in the shower today and I was thinking Jess and I need like an opening for the podcast, you know, like an opening that's mostly the same every time. Like what? Definitely not what you did today.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I just like saying it. Anyway, welcome to our latest episode of Murder in the Land of Oz. Yes. How are you, Ellen? I'm good. I've been better. Great. Same. <laughs> Woo! I'm up. I've had Coke, no sugar. I'm ready. I'm ready. It's Ellen's turn tonight, and Ellen, what are you going to be talking about
0: tonight? We are talking about the main family. Ooh. I titled my document "The Main Murders," but then I changed it because it's. You'll find out. Yeah, in about one hour and fifteen minutes, you should know why. <laughs> um, so I picked this topic because I've known about the main family for eight years or nine years or so. Jeez. Um. And I thought everybody did. <laughs> Certainly, when you Google them, lots of stuff came out. Lots but of stuff comes out. You up. and also every person you've spoken to hasn't known who the mains are.
1: I knew who the mains were. You know from the play, um, the play, but also working in like I just that working in Brisbane City, Brisbane Arcade, yeah. just knowing Brisbane about Arcade, the yeah. shop, yeah. And then supposedly something, yes, yeah. Yes. And then I knew. Anyway, we'll get into the bias. We'll get later. into the uh, stuff in the
0: episode. We're gonna. Say the things and then the everybody things. will know about it. Yeah. That's how podcasts work. But Welcome. no,
1: like I, I had a lovely Uber driver this evening. I'll just put it out there. Oh. I'm pretty sure his name is Richard. And he just moved here from London in October. Mm-hmm. And he's studying to be a police officer. Ooh. And I told him about the podcast and he was very intrigued from what I told him about the main family. He obviously didn't know. Yeah. But he was like, oh, we've got children. They're going to be, you know, we want them to go to school. And I was like, well, if they go to UQ – there's the main building. Yes. I knew that bit. Yes. Shout out to our homie Richard. He was so lovely. <laughs> Welcome to Queensland. And a great accent.
0: Yes, very good. Very good. Um, okay, so let's get into it. Uh the main family are one of Brisbane's like establishing families. They are one of the groups of people that kind of built Brisbane. Um, again, talking about white history here, sorry. <laughs> People yeah, built I, this country for thousands of years. I just realized that the other day. Mm. Mm. We're going to work on that. We, yeah.
1: We're definitely going to work on that, okay?
0: Look, everybody's learning and educating.
1: Yeah. At least
0: we acknowledge it. We're trash.
1: Uh, speaking of on that vein, I know we need to hop into this. Mm-hmm. But that gorgeous girl that got killed in Melbourne. Yeah. In the high rise. Uh-huh. And she was like – so news bulletin starts at six. She wasn't on until like 6.45 or something, close to the end of the bulletin. And I was like, if that girl was white, it would have been the leading news story. 100%. There has been remarkably little news And like then coverage. they're like, oh, it's the African gangs. It's like, pretty sure it was just some asshole with a knife. Exactly. Also, African paw.
0: gangs aren't real. No. I correct. mean, I'm sure there are African gangs about, but you know.
1: It's the sirens. It's the sirens. They're coming to get They're you. They're coming to get us. Okay, main family.
0: It's Malcolm Turnbull coming to get me because I said African <laughs> gangs are
1: real. <laughs> podcast producer Zane was preaching, so. Yes, we're I all thought preaching. he was telling us to, like, move on. This is a murder podcast,
0: not a subtle political commentary podcast. Know. Anyway. Anyway, really- the main family. Um. So the main family, yes, established most of Brisbane, purchased a lot of Brisbane real estate, Developed a lot of the institutions that we know and love today, such as the Brisbane Arcade, uh, the Royal Exchange Hotel. If you're a fan of a four dollar right. basic right, on a right, Wednesday right, night, right. Um, and many many other sort of Brisbane institutions, including the University of Queensland, mm. they didn't establish it, but they, um, they purchased they purchased the land for the uni- to donate to the University of Queensland. Um, and yes, they were Richie Riches. But they always had a bit of a bad reputation and people thought that they were... Cursed. Cursed, yes, and that they were very mysterious. They would call them like the Mad Mains and stuff like that. The Murderous manes, the Mad Mains, the...
1: The main gang. The main
0: gang. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They didn't call them the main gang, but we will call them the main gang. Main Maybe gang. that will be the title of this episode. Hashtag, where's your main gang? <laughs> um, so the reason why they had this bad reputation throughout their lives is because of the main family patriarch, Patrick Main, who came to Australia like all the whites, um (laughs) mostly uh from ireland in
1: 1841
0: county tyrone county tyrone thank you jess did you just get the wikipedia page up really quickly on your phone maybe i've written the podcast it's okay
1: (laughs) i just i want to shout out to my home
0: it's also my home country um he was also a catholic uh we keep on doing episodes (laughs) about irish catholics right what you know yeah um So he came over 1841 from Ireland. He lived in poverty in Ireland. He was an orphan. He had a bunch of siblings. Classic Irish story. Tell somebody who cares, Patrick Mayne. Um, came over at 17. He worked off his debt to his sponsor at Liverpool Plains for two years as a labourer. He then moved north in search of work and he came to the settlement of Moreton Bay, which is here <laughs> here where we are right now. Murder in the Land of Oz. Um. So Brisbane. This is even earlier in time than our previous episode, the Gatton Murders. So it, even less established. So Brisbane wasn't really like a city. It was more like a collection of buildings that were vaguely in the same geographic location. Um, you couldn't cross the river. You had to like w- get a boat. Row? Yeah, you'd have to row. I honestly was reading about all this and they were saying like, yeah, there was no way to cross the river. And I was like, then how did anybody know anyone? How did anything get done? Like how was there like trade at Kangaroo Point and then also trade at Queen Street? They were like on opposite parts of the river and then I remembered that boats exist. <laughs> Which is incredibly embarrassing because my father is a boat builder and I have been around boats my entire life. I was very puzzled. (laughs) I never said that I was smart, just that I could Google. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, Yes, so he came to Brisbane that was not very populated. Uh, The population was mostly labourers and ex-convicts with a few posh British folks, just a couple thrown in for good measure. Uh, Women were few and far between, so (gasps) very few of these men were in settled relationships, which meant that usually they would just go to work. you know, old-timey labor stuff, hoeing fields and things. I don't know. Um, And then get drunk at the pub in the evening, which is also what we do. Working habits is not – minus the working in the field part. um, We work in another type of field. The retail field. A much worse field. (laughs) I would rather, like, sow wheat or whatever.
1: No, you wouldn't. (laughs) No,
0: I wouldn't. That's a lie. Yes, that is a lie. Um. So after – Coming north in search of work, Patrick Maine, um, young, ambitious, and allegedly built like a brick house. Every single page of the book was like, Patrick Maine, tall and strong. Patrick Maine, he was really big. Patrick Maine, so just a really big unit. We get it. I was like, okay, he's big, got it. Um, He starts working at Campbell's Slaughterhouse and Boiling Down Works in Kangaroo Point. Yikes. He earned a lofty one pound a week. Whoa. Yes. Hey, big spender. (laughs) Um, A Boiling Down Works, if you don't know, because I didn't know because I'm a lifelong vegetarian and stuff like this grosses me out. Um, But it's where they like boil down the leftover parts of the animal once they've butchered it to make like to, like, render the fat and extract tallow that makes soap and candles and
1: Fuck hell. axle grease
0: and other stuff that they would use back in that day. Um, so for the Butcher Boys and all the other workers around Kangaroo Point, the location of choice for getting drunk at the end of the day was the Bush Inn. Ooh, um, Everybody would get together there for a drink and a chat and other old-timey Aussie activities, like games of 2 up or what have you. Um, so for Patrick Maine coming from harsh pre-Irish famine conditions to, you know, getting a pound a week, hanging out with the mates. Sweet deal. Sweet deal. Yeah, really sweet happy deal. Happy to be there. Yes, very happy. But in 1846, however, the owner of the slaughterhouse, John Campbell, ran out of money. Mm. The workers sued him for lost wages, which they were awarded. Patrick was paid around six pounds and then sued Campbell again when his promissory notes for around 12 pounds were dishonoured, which means basically his check bounced.
1: No. He was like, yo, give me
0: my money. And he's like, yeah, I got your money. Then he gave him the money and then he went to deposit at the bank, but he didn't because there were no banks, but check bounced. So suit again, got a little bit more money. Um, So deeply in debt, Campbell was forced to sell the slaughterhouse and the premises were purchased by a man named Richard Smith. So life continued as usual for Maine until Smith then moved the slaughterhouse to Goodna in 1848 and Maine and the other workers went with him. It was there that Patrick Maine met Mary McIntosh, who he married on the 9th of April, Mary 1849. McIntosh, Mary Patrick McIntosh. Maine. How could you, get, How more could you Irish? get more Irish? My god. You can't. Um, he met two other men down in Goodna who had become lifelong friends, Darby McGrath and Patrick Pacey. Darby. I like that name. I liked it too. McGrath was a former convict and Pacey was an Irish political rebel, so he was in familiar company. Darby McGrath, despite his troubled life, was determined to make something more of himself. He purchased large amounts of land in the Moreton Bay region and became increasingly wealthy. One of the area's richest men. Probably mm-hmm. meant he laid two pounds to everybody else's one pound.
1: Yeah, he's like, I um, got four pounds. How many pounds you got? Look at me, hey, big spender. <laughs>
0: uh, this had a big impact on Patrick Maine, who learned from McGrath that wealth came easily if you had lots of property. Maine also learned.
1: <laughs> that seems to me like wealth is easy if you have wealth.
0: But if you buy property and then, like, you graze cattle or sell it or build a building and then rent it, like, you can purchase a plot of land for, say, one pound and then you can make more pounds from that one pound. Money can be exchanged for goods and services. (laughs) (laughs) What's that from? The Simpsons. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Uh, So, Maine was, like, hanging out with my friends, loving it, sick of the bush, moves back to Queen Street. with Well, he moves back to Brisbane with his wife, Mary who was pregnant with the first child. In 1849, he purchased the goodwill of a butcher's shop in Queen Street, which is Brisbane's main shopping thoroughfare. Interestingly, people believe that this butcher's shop is where Zara is. Oh. So keep that in your mind if you're from Brisbane.
1: That is in my
0: mind. In a few short years, Maine had gone from a penniless orphan from Ireland to the owner of a business in Brisbane's most prominent area. He had moved substantially up in the world. As a property owner, he was now on the electoral roll and he became an active member of the Brisbane community. He was also raking in the dosh. With his increased financial security, he acted as a guarantor for a number of Irish wannabe publicans. And as you can imagine, owning a butcher's shop and getting money from a bunch of pubs in 40s is making bank. He had so much money, he didn't even know what Making what bank. he lacked in technical education. He made up for in business savvy, but despite his newfound place in society, he was still a bit of a rough man. He went afoul of the law a few times. He assaulted a man who entered his property in search of a pig that he thought Maine had stolen. He f- That's a lot to do for a pig. Mm-hmm. He, the guy found the pig slaughtered in the yard and squared up to Maine, who promptly beat the shit out of him.
1: Because <laughs> he was as strong as an ox. Because he was as strong as an ox.
0: He had the strength of a... Raging fire, <laughs> mysterious <laughs> as the dark side of the moon. <laughs> um, oh. I felt it like Mulan, important. If anybody didn't know that. Yeah, was. I felt important to add that Maine like didn't go out and steal this guy's pig and just like wandered into the yard. And Maine was like, mm, "Find his keepers. <laughs> 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 I'm not gonna not slaughter mm. this pig. I'm a butcher. Like Fair he's not wasn't a pig thief. Just a, a somebody taxi. who would assault he didn't you. Didn't do takes these backsies. He did not do a takes these um, he also had an interesting run in with a police officer. So Patrick Maine was hanging out at
1: the front of his butcher shop, greeting passers-by. I love that Ellen along with that, even though you can't see because we're recording a podcast, but she did like a tip of her hat. I did Salute. tip my hat. <laughs> I did tip my hat. <laughs> um, so he's hanging
0: out at the front of his shop, tipping his hat, Ellen style, <laughs> to passers-by. Uh, Constable Monsor walks by, um, like escorting a guy who had had one too many and was being a bit drunk and disorderly. And Patrick Bain attacked the police officer and again, just like beat the shit out of him. Why? And the courts later were like, why did you do that? And he was like, I didn't approve of the constable's actions. Okay. So because he, yeah, he didn't approve approve of the constable's actions. So I think he had like a moral objection about walking drunk drunk people people home. Also, maybe he just hated cops. Um, which, I mean, most people at the time. I mean, he was Irish. Yeah, and it was also, like, the 1840s.
1: Oh, you're a cop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your impression of somebody? Okay. I don't know. Never mind. I don't know.
0: Onward. Onward and upward. Um, So he definitely had a hair-trigger temper, and in his later years he gained a reputation for threatening people with a whip when he didn't get his own way. <sighs> He would be like, Dull. do
1: that or I'll whip ya. Well, whip can ya I just say, shape. not that I would ever use a whip against anybody, but Sidetrack Nation, a Monday. Okay, so I don't know. Like Ellen and I both work in retail. We both have other things to do in our lives as well, like doing this podcast. And we had this That's girl. That's about it though. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This girl who also works in retail decided to come into the store at 6.30, try everything on. We couldn't get her out of the store until 6.25, 25 minutes past close and then when finally she'd bought the shit and she's standing at the front of the store, she's like, oh, do I want a bag? Do I not want a bag? Do I want a bag? I wanted like that in a moment is when I would want a Patrick Main style, like get a whip get out a whip and, be, and like, just be like, I'm going to use this. <laughs>
0: Get out! What are the cops going to do? Arrest me? I'll just beat them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you can do when you built like a brick shit house. apparently. You can just... Not that I want to be Patrick Mayne and I
1: don't want to hurt one. No, hurting is Maybe bad. just like threateningly, threateningly... threatening with the whip, fine. Like crack the whip to the, the right, you yeah, know? Like Catwoman. Yeah. Just like do like a big flourish
0: in the air and whack that shit <whistles> down. Yeah. Customers Go. beware. Yeah, beware. People in general, beware.
1: Beware.
0: Um... Yeah, so he had a back to Patrick Mayne. He had quite man. a few run-ins with the law throughout his life. He was fined ten pounds for trying to threaten a witness in some case. Fine for using bad language, which I just feel like is overly harsh. Come on, man, it's eighteen forty-nine, Australia. Everyone's smelly, Everybody's smelling and like swearing and throwing babies Drinking. in rivers and stuff. I don't know yeah. where that came from. When did you hear that? Um, I don't know. Just words came to my mouth that weren't connected to my brain. Okay. Um, And he was charged with assaulting yet another random passerby at his shop. Uh, So obviously because Patrick Payne was rich, fines didn't really deter him much. So he was like, oh, fine. Whatever. I'm a baller. Um, And also because Australia's relationship with criminals is not probably more friendly than most places. We do love a crim. So the public lover Crim yeah. The public lover crim, Yeah. So people are like that that main, he does threaten to whip people and stuff. Some people are like that main, he threatens to whip people and beats up passers by, but he's a good time. <laughs> Other people are like, I think something's mentally wrong with this person. Um find out which group find of people was one. right in the rest of this episode, beginning <laughs> right now. Um so Patrick Maine, petty criminal, successful businessman, he really wanted to be like one of the big men on campus. He was getting super rich, um, partly in fact due to the fact that Brisbane had a huge like population boom right after he bought his butcher shop, the population tripled or something like that Whoa. because three shipfuls of Irish settlers arrived like in that. Their- late 1840s early 1850s so from like I think I can't didn't write down the numbers because I'm not a professional but it went from like 2,000 to 1,000
1: people in Brisbane yeah huge population boom you own a butcher shop bunch of Irish people I know right need your beef stew and pubs that's true Irish
0: people stews and pubs that's I mean that's part of why he was just like so damn rich um he also put some of his money behind civic causes around Brisbane, but not necessarily out of the goodness of his heart. Um, he would trial. put them towards—I don't know if you could write off charitable <laughs> donations in your taxes in 1849. <laughs> Brisbane Neither. population around six thousand or, or something, maybe. Um, but he would do things like he and a bunch of other business. I went to I went to say Brisbane businessman, but I accidentally combined it into like businessmen, which I think is awesome. That's a new word. Hashtag business. Businessmen. Um so they put uh some money towards like a um reward for anybody that found gold on lands that they own. Um so like the rich businessmen were like, if you find gold on my land, I will you get this reward. Um but nobody ever Took up on it. Would there be gold here?
1: Yeah, there was a gold rush. There was a very famous gold rush. I know, no, I know in general in (laughs) Australia there was a gold rush. Yeah, so the gold rush was happening.
0: And people were like, maybe there's gold up in our hills as well. Was there much gold found here in Brisbane? Well, they never claimed the reward, so. So,
1: no. No. (laughs) Fuck off. I know about the gold rush. Mate, I'm not an I know I'm a pretty face, but I'm not an idiot. You're not an
0: idiot, and you're incredibly beautiful. (laughs) um please we're very sensitive at the moment i'm sorry (laughs) listeners um so even though the reward never went claimed his donation kind of put him up on a list with the other big boys in town kind of being like these are the important guys to watch out for the ones who want you to find gold or the you know the big big they're the movers and shakers (laughs) um he kept on investing in property both rental and commercial all told he ended up owning land totaling around 1,700 acres, not including all of his commercial enterprises. What? hmm He bought land in all the Brizzy Hotspots, Elizabeth Creek and Margaret Streets, North Key, Wickham Terrace, Breakfast Creek, Edward Street, Stanley and Vulture Streets in South Brisbane, and also the street that I live on, which I am going to name.
1: Whoa. He
0: owned property on my street.
1: And my mother works. in Sick. <laughs> cool story, bro. Tell cool story. again. <laughs> um... He bought
0: more hotels in town. It was around this time that he was bought up the RE and a few other re, 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 pubs in re, town. Re, re, um, re, re, he re. made most of his money from renters and returns on his land investments. He bought a huge property, 693 acres at Moggle, to begin grazing his own cattle to then send his butcher's shop to slaughter. So he was making that money. And he would also, I think I remember reading that he would also, like, give other butchers, like, his cattle as well. So... Well, that cattle man. being sorted, Maine did it. He's fucking um, getting
1: that dollar, though, isn't he? He was. He was. He was
0: getting a lot of cash. He still wanted to be more of a high roller. Um, he was, as I mentioned before, he was a bit of a fan of a town improvement project. Um, he was part of a group that campaigned for the, like, rough dirt roads that, like, were what? Like, George Street and, like, William Street were made out of to be smoothed out so businesses could transport stuff easier because it'd be easier for the horses to ride and stuff like that. Yeah. So what's what I mean that he's like, yeah, Brisbane needs smooth roads. We don't need dirt tracks anymore, but it's basically so that he could get his own Yeah, stuff. for his own benefit. Yeah, for his own benefit. For everybody's benefit, but also for my benefit, but which mainly is most important. But mostly me. Um, So he he was a part of quite a few like important businessmen in town issues, but he was never really like on the... Top of the list. he was people still thought of him as a bit of a, like a rough rednecky kind of guy, that, which is like a bit hypocritical. Since cash they up were all bogan,
1: ca- he was literally
0: he was a cash up bogan, and everybody's like, "Yeah, cub, cub. we'll take your money, but we're not gonna respect you." No. <laughs> essentially, it's like that new money
1: debate. thing
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, he was getting he got on board with a lot of like various election campaigns and stuff like that, and would support other important men to get elected when it suited him. And he was also part of, like, the separatist movement. So Queensland at the time was a part of the colony of New South Wales. And most people in Queensland were not happy about the slowness and inaction of the government down south, which, fair enough.
1: Yeah. Um, Letter probably took, like, 12 weeks.
0: Yeah. So his signature is on, like, the piece of paper that was, like, we the people of Queensland or whatever uh, want to not be New South Wales. Right. Yes. Um... There you so, go, Origin Vince. <laughs> yeah, take that. <laughs> take that. Um, he was never the most important or the most respected, but he was definitely one of the most present. There wasn't a committee or an issue that Patrick Maine wouldn't attach himself to. So on the 10th of December, 1859, the colony of Queensland with a population at this time around 30,000.
1: Wow. So That's jumped up so it's much. It's jumped up,
0: yeah. My initial numbers may not have been correct. I did make them up. Um, so... <laughs> Zane's <laughs> laughing at it. Um, he's like, oh, the girls are These not very professional. bitches, like I gave them a
1: podcast and now they're making up shit.
0: <laughs> so on that day, uh, Queensland was declared separate from New South Wales. So with the establishment of like the new colony of Queensland also came the need to establish a municipal council for Brisbane and Maine wanted to be on that council. So he hitched his wagon to a more prominent Brisbaneite named George Raff plan to stand for the Queensland Parliament. The two are both Irish Catholics and shared political interests. One project of theirs was to come up with a fund to subsidise the Brisbane National School. Um, so Patrick donated two pounds to the fund um, and then... Oh, Patrick, um, very generous. Very, very generous. About 200 dollars Yeah. Anyway.
1: He's a baller though. Yeah, Two pounds?
0: A two pounds. It's not nothing. Um, so uh, somebody... One of the patrons for the school, who was also an Irish Catholic, his name was W.A. Duncan, was planning on leaving the school. And George Raff, knowing that they needed another Irish Catholic to take the guy who was leaving his place, put Maine up to the job. So then Maine donated an ish- another £100 to the oh, school. Oh, there you go. There yeah. you go. And everybody was like, oh, Maine, he's so generous. Oh, Patrick Maine, don't you want to be on the Board of Education? And Patrick Maine was like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> so he did. Um... So from there, uh, when Brisbane was proclaimed as a municipality, Maine was elected to the position of alderman, along with many of the other business folks. That's
1: what I that, I was about to say. I was about to say, wasn't he like an alderman or something? And then, but I was thinking that word, but then I was about to say ombudsman. And I'm like, no, that's not the word. No, he was an word? alderman.
0: He was an alderman. Um... Yes, and then he was also appointed to the government's Board of National Education in Queensland. So he was finally getting the recognition and the status that he thought he was deserved. But his appointment was not without controversy. People would say that Patrick Maine was getting a
1: bit too big for his boots. A bit too big for his britches. Yes,
0: his wealth and status didn't mitigate his fiery temper or his rough upbringing. Despite the negativity, Maine continued to throw himself into, is Fifi biting you? (laughs)
1: got such short claws. They're so sharp. (laughs) Phoebe's like, this episode is boring. When are you going to get to the murder?
0: Um, Yes. Uh, Despite the negativity, Maine continued to throw himself into his business and other activities. Um, His appointment as older men kept him very much in the thick of the town business. Brisbane didn't have much in the way of services or amenities and the council was busy trying to set Brisbane up as a proper town. The role of alderman was unpaid, and as such, the businessmen who were on the council often had to miss work for council business, and work, etc. Um, and Maine missed quite a few months of council business in 1861 and again in 1862 due to being away on personal matters in sarcastic quotation marks,
1: and he
0: did not do well in the elections, the re-elections in 1862 due to his absence, and his seat was taken over, but he ran again in 1863 for the seat of Fortitude Valley and was elected. At this point in time, he's been an alderman for a little while. He's enjoying himself. He's being like, you do this, you do that, my ideas are great, yada, yada, yada. But around this, like, 1863 period, his behaviour at council was getting uh, more – erratic and belligerent so even though he was never really the most even-tempered of men His argumentative nature and tendency for like weirdly fixating on some issues that weren't important. Like he tried to, they wanted to get a fire bell and they said that the fire bell was going to cost 30 pounds, but actually cost 50 pounds. And he was like, take that bell back. We're getting another bell. And everybody was like, we need the fire bell, Patrick Mayne. Patrick (laughs) Mayne was like, no, you told me it would be 30 pounds. And it was 50. And it was 50. And everybody else was like, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah, so he wasn't really winning many favours with the other aldermen. He kept on missing meetings. He was very outspoken. He would personally attack other aldermen and was often confused about issues. Like he nominated one person for some role or something like that. And then he like seconded somebody else's motion of nominating another person. And everybody was like, but Patrick, you already put somebody up for the job. And he was like, "I'm. Uh, I, what's going on? Um... So by 1865, it was pretty clear to everybody else on the council that Patrick May's erratic behaviour was the result of it. He attended his last council meeting on June 17th, 1865. He would spend the last six weeks of his life requiring round-the-clock care from a nurse. At this point, his financials I wrote his finances were in shambles, but they weren't. Sh- they were shamble-esque. Right. They had some shamblish characteristics. So wild speculation and poor investments, plus a big old debt to the Bank of New South Wales, had left him not penniless, but not pennyful. Right. He died on the seventeenth of August, eight sixty-five, and now comes the juicy part. The juicy. M- the murder part of the Murder in the Land of Wars podcast. What? There's a murder. What? There's a murder in this episode. What? It's not just facts about Brisbane. Um, so for the vast majority of Patrick Maine's life, gossip and rumour followed him about like a black cloud. How had this man, a rough, penniless orphan from Ireland, managed to amass the great fortune he had? How did he go from being a butcher earning one pound a week at a slaughterhouse to running his own business in the main street of town?
1: And look, fair question. Fair question. Bits us. If I ended up like quitting my job tomorrow and like getting on an airplane and, you know, buying Starting a, a new life in island, Ireland or something be like, like that.
0: I'd be like, something's gone down that I didn't anticipate.
1: happened. Yes.
0: Well, for Patrick Maine the answer lies at the Bush Inn, Kangaroo Point, near the Clamble Slaughterhouse <gasps> years Remember that, guys? The Bush Inn? In remember that? I'm constructing a narrative. <laughs> I'm doing it poorly, but I'm constructing one. <laughs> I'm with you. So on the morning of Saturday, March 26, 1848, a man was sailing down the Brisbane River with his family and he spotted the lower half of a body lying in the muddy riverbank.
1: What? Yep. Lower half? Lower half. Like cut in half? Loins down. What? Mm-hmm. Appropriately horrified,
0: the man sailed on to alert the police. Constable Murphy and Constable Fitzpat- Fitzpatrick. I wonder where they're from. <laughs> 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 the Irish people. Uh, arrived on the scene to discover that the body was cut in two with the lower half lying on the riverbank and the arms and the upper torso lying in the grass a few metres away. The head was not present.
1: Oh, that fucks me. Dismemberment fucks me. I hate it. I hate it so much. I have
0: to say I'm also not a huge fan of dismemberment. (laughs) I just can't take it. So there was a deep cut on the right side of the chest that had severed the ribs and a smaller cut on the left side. Roused by the understandable commotion, a crowd began to form Take a shot every time crowds form around crime scenes.
1: <laughs> in Brisbane. In Brisbane. Take a shot. Seriously,
0: guys, wait for TV to get invented. Um so the crowd forms and everybody in the crowd was like, we'll help you guys search for the head. And the police officers were like, No, thank you. No, they were like, Yeah, town. <laughs> Come on, it's populace. Best. Let's go search for the head. Let's go. Um, so the head was eventually Fifi found.
1: Worried, she's like, "Guys, you're having a very a physical reaction."
0: Jess is like writhing around in her chair, like she's getting dismembered. No thanks. So the head was eventually found propped between two joists in an unfinished building across the road from the Bush Inn. Blood was discovered in the backyard of the Bush Inn, all over the fence, on the ground between the fence and the well and it seemed like attempts had been made to wash the blood off the wall. Outside of the fence, the grass was crushed in two places, as if somebody had thrown the two halves of the body over the fence. What? Blood was on the grass on the outside of the fence, and blood marks were traced from the side of the fence to the riverbank where the body was found. There was also a copious amount of blood inside the well in the bush inn. Uh, The water was examined. Oh people
1: had to drink that!
0: The water was examined and found to have blood in it and a portion of intestine was discovered as well as a knife, a towel and three shirts, one that was missing a sleeve. Conveniently, the body on the riverbank had been found with a random shirt sleeve attached to it. So it was alarmingly evident that the murder had occurred somewhere in inn. or around the Bush
1: Inn. <laughs> no, I Murphy thought it was and down Fitzpatrick are
0: standing there like, look, policing's only been around for a few decades, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that it happened at the Bush Inn. We would play them in we this. <laughs> if this was like a movie or an episode of Drunk History or something, where we'd be the the cops be like, I wonder where the murder happened. Could it be here where the blood and the intestines are? <laughs> That's us. Um, Copyright. So a member of the crowd had identified the head as previously belonging to a man named Robert Cox. Oh, so, Previously Robert,
1: belonging. <laughs>
0: Robert Cox was a patron who had been drinking steadily at the Bush Inn for a few days in order to drink through a four pound money order he had given the public. Now, I don't know anything about money or inflation or economics or anything. But the Google tells me that four pounds in 1848 is 396 pounds in 2018 or $702 $100. Australian dollars. Fuck
1: off. That's He'd, so much alcohol. This guy
0: had been in Brisbane for like four days and he was still smashing it. He's like, I've got to drink through this. I gave the publican four pounds. I've got to drink all four pounds. I've got to drink all $702 dollary dues of this. Like you wouldn't be able to do anything else. You wouldn't be able to sleep. You wouldn't be able to sleep. Unless you're getting espresso martinis because they're expensive. But
1: again. Oh, like $18. Like go fuck yourself, press club. Like no way.
0: No. So he was not drinking espresso martinis. He was probably drinking like ale. Yeah. Which is like what? I tried to find out what like a pint cost in 1848 to to find out exactly how much this guy had consumed. But I couldn't. The most like the oldest information
1: i could find was from 1952 which Ugh. was nearly a century later so i would if you know how does it go like what what's in a pound like a pound you know like a dollars there's like 5 cents and 20 cents like what what like small denominations are there in a pound
0: like pennies and shillings and stuff pennies and shillings yeah. wow
1: like what if like a glass of ale was like half a pe- you'd be <laughs> you'd be so drunk you'd be like on the ground vomiting honestly i don't think i mean Oh. I have a funny story. Oh, God. Okay. Is it podcast appropriate? Yeah, 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 no, it was fine. Just about being drunk, that's all. Mm-hmm. I had an unfortunate incident a couple of months ago where mm-hmm. I got absolutely smashed on rosé mm-hmm. and red wine and I was sick out in front of my building. <laughs> so there's like smaller, like there's there's apartments that have like um, car parks like right outside of it. And I sat outside these people's car parks that I'd never met before and had been sick onto their driveway, essentially their <laughs> personal driveway. And I saw them and looked them in the face for the first time today and the mark was still on the ground <laughs> from when I had been sick. Oh i washed God. it up but they still was like, you know what, red wine does It stains. <laughs> <laughs> you full-on Robert Cox I did that on night. full-on Robert Cox that night. You pulled the
0: full Cox. I pulled the full <laughs> okay. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. Uh, so Robert Cox was a former convict who was friendly with the cook at the Bush Inn, who was also a former convict. Um, Surprise. Yeah. Australians being convicts. What? What? Um, the cook's name was William Fife. Cox had come to Brisbane from the south uh, where it was told by police, told to police by his travelling companion that Robert Cox had cut and sold sixteen or 17,000 feet of cedar to a boatyard in Tweet. Smith said that Cox sold the timber for between 300 and 350 pounds, less four pounds, I assume, for the booze. So in 2018 Australian dollars, that's between $52,747 and $61,538.
1: Fucking hell. Yeah.
0: Also, don't know if my maths is right. If you know maths, please check me. Yeah, Please check an myself email. before I wreck myself. Matinthelandofoz at gmail.com. Um, so, as Cox had been getting steadily drunk at the Bush Inn for the preceding four days since he arrived in Brisbane, it was reasonable to assume that some of the other patrons had heard about the money. Patrick Maine was among the men drinking at the Bush Inn on the evening of Saturday, oh, the twenty fifth. I'm picking up what
1: you're putting down. The daughter
0: of the owner of the pub, Charlotte Sutton, had overheard on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Robert Cox drunkenly accusing his friend William Fife the Cook of stealing from him. I wrote drunkenly accusing, but after you've been drinking for four straight days, there's no sober accusing. <laughs> um accusing his friend William Fife the Cook of stealing from him, which Fife denied. Charlotte told her father about the interaction, and although nobody who worked at the pub actually believed that Cox had any money. It was an interesting story to tell the patrons of a night being like, Oh, that cox, he made three hundred to three hundred and fifty pounds selling a bunch of seed up the tweed. So other patrons did know about it. Mm. So once all the pieces of Robert Cox's body had been discovered, the police took it to the bush inn to lay it out and begin a sort of autopsy. Another taking nothing
1: taking the body to to the the pub. pub. (laughs) Cat and murders. Everybody, don't do that. Don't take the body to the pub. pub. Okay, don't do it. So Dr. Kesey Cannon. A surgeon
0: and interestingly named man examined Casey. the body. Kesey? Possibly Kesey. K E A S E Y. K A. That's Casey. Casey. Yeah. I've never heard it said like that before. Kesey. Kesey. Casey. Dr. Kesey Cannon. Dr.
1: Kesey Cannon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, sorry to the Irish. Sorry. Um, examined the body and said that the abdomen had been cut open with a knife and that the body's spine had been severed with an axe. Oh. The body was so mutilated that he was unable to determine the cause of death. I think it could be, be sev- sever-
1: severing the spine. <laughs> with severing an axe. the
0: spine due to axe. Yeah. <laughs> it would be my top of the that's list. That's what I you know? signed the death certificate as. Yeah. Um, so during the investigation, Constable Murphy discovered in William Fife the cook's room a bloodstained towel, a bloodstained child's shoe, a piece of paper with bloodstains on it, and bloodstains on the floor underneath the bed. In the kitchen, he found burnt buttons and clothing burned to ash. Ugh. So a bunch of Bush Inn locals were arrested, including Fife the cook. No prizes for guessing why there. Yeah. Uh, William Sutton, the owner, William Holt, who lived at the hotel, William Lynch, George Platt, and John Connell, who were some patrons of the night. Um so back in the day Brisbane had like a little courthouse, but nothing that was like for like a serious... Well, look, they took like the a, buddies to
1: the pub, so I wasn't expecting yeah, them to yeah. have like a
0: full-on They court didn't room. have a
1: full-on courtroom, no. it was didn't more expect like a broad a, church
0: situation, no, you know? No, no, it was more of a like, he stole my horse uh, kind of <laughs> situation. So all trials and such happened in Sydney. So as such, they assembled like a grand jury at the Bush Inn in order to examine the suspects and see if it was possible to send any of the arrested men down to Sydney to be tried. It seems to me a little like a game of Cluedo, or some other murder mystery party where you're like, everybody help us find out who solved, who committed this crime. Like everybody's just going to the bush in, finding body parts. Now they're Let's like, go hey, go do you want to be in head. this grand jury? They're like, sure. It's like four-year-old
1: Maisie's like, I did it, mummy. I did it. I found the head. I <laughs> found the head.
0: Literally. Um, so Sutton, the owner of the pub, told the constable that he thought Fife was responsible and that he saw someone who... Sutton supposed was Robert Cox in Fife's bed around 11 o'clock of the night in question when Sutton was locking up and going to bed. So around one o'clock, Sutton was woken from his slumber by three patrons after a beer, the aforementioned William Lynch, George Platt, and our old friend Patrick Maine. Oi, there he is. Fife was still up and about at this time, Sutton said. So the three men, so William Lynch and George Platt were butcher friends of Patrick Maine. So the three butchers had been at the pub earlier in the evening had left and come back for around two. So Patrick Maine said that the three drank beer and wine until 3 a.m. at the pub where they saw and heard nothing suspicious and went back to Maine's lodgings and kept the party going until 4 a.m. What a rager. Yes, yeah, so Sutton said the Fife was up this whole time and asked Sutton for a glass of beer saying, that fellow Cox has gone. Knowing that the hotel and the gate had been locked at 11 and having seen Cox in Fife's bed after then, Sutton asked how he had left the promises. Fife responded in a not at all suspicious manner. He went over the gate at half past twelve. He went over the gate. I mean, so the it's attractive. The evidence about Fife was stacking up. Uh, Witnesses maintained, however, that on the morning the body was discovered that Fife seemed normal, collecting his laundry from the washerwoman without seeming like he had committed a grisly murder the night before. He also seemed normal to a witness named John Croft, who testified that the burnt button and clothing could not have been a result of Fife bending the evidence after the murder on Sunday morning as this guy Croft got to the pub around 4.45am and the oven was cold. Right, so... Old timey oven, take up fair enough, and then cool down again. Yeah, Um, but he was, on the other hand, seen cleaning out his room with cloth on the morning of, and he had asked Charlotte Sutton for a clean shirt. Ooh. So the jury, the grand jury that assembled, brought at in a the pub. At the the pub. pub, we all pissed. <laughs> I think they conducted it semi, much like we conduct this podcast. They conducted it semi professional. Yeah, we're not drunk right now. We aren't right now. Um, so the Maybe grand jury later. brought in a verdict of willful murder against William Fife, whereupon he was sent to Sydney where he faced a real judge in a real court. In Sydney, Fife said that he could not be guilty because the clothes which he allegedly burned in the fire were apparently later found intact and that there was insufficient evidence to suggest that his bedroom had been the murder scene, despite the fact that Cox was sleeping in there, due to the fact that the police only found a few bloodstained items, which he attributed to his bleeding lip.
1: Charlotte. That's Sutton. a lot of blood from your bleeding lip, hey? Yep. Charlotte Sutton
0: did say to the grand jury that his lips had been bleeding that morning. But yeah, not to be judgmental, but how much blood? I mean, I cut my lip. It's not. There certainly wouldn't be bloodstains on the floorboards. I don't know how I'd get it on a shoe. I don't know either. I don't know either. Um, he also said that initially on the Sunday, there was minimal blood found in his room, but the blood under the bed and on the stuff under the floorboards had been found on Wednesday when his room had been open to anybody wandering around and therefore could not necessarily be linked to the murder. He also added, which I thought was a good point. It has been stated in evidence against me that I washed and slept my sleeping room on Sunday, which was not usual. Had I seen the blood, I would have washed that first. So good on your Fife.
1: Good on your Fife. Also... Fife. What a character In the beast. It was.
0: It was Fife. a little flute. Fife. Um Beating the Beast in Enchanted Christmas. Great.
1: Excellent film. Excellent film. Really. I think a it was a hundred percent on cinema, Rotten you know? Tomatoes.
0: Um so good point aside, in Sydney on July fourth, eighteen forty eight, William Fife was hanged for the murder of Robert Cox. No, he protested not his innocence Fife. to the very end. So He had, yes, he said he was innocent. He and Cox were mates. They had reconnected after their convict time had ended. And witnesses at the time who saw them together at the inn said that they were like brothers. But their relationship had somehow soured over the course of that four days.
1: I mean, he was drunk. I mean, for four
0: days straight. I'd get pretty sick of you if you were drunk for four days. Yeah, you
1: couldn't even take me for a night. No, that was one of the best nights of my life. You were crazy. I felt I split my chin open, and then you and Jacob were like, "Okay, see ya, bye." That was a different night. Which night are you talking about? I'm talking about the night that you and I went out. Which night? You don't
0: remember? What night? The night that you and I went clubbing. You're talking about Jacob's twenty first. This is very no, interesting I'm for talking, our listeners. Never mind.
1: Never mind. <laughs> I'm talking about the night where I fell over and I split my chin open, and that you was Jacob's twenty s- first. You laid it out of there so fast. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> the shocking murder. And mutilation of Robert Cox
0: had terrified and excited the people of Brisbane at the time. For many years after the death, there were whispers that an innocent man was hanged for the crime. Some 20, odd years as, some 20 odd years later, as he lay dying, Patrick Main, the butcher, the businessman, the owner of a considerable amount of Brisbane real estate, allegedly confessed to the murder of Robert Cox. Jesus. Supposedly for the purpose of stealing the money that Cox had made selling cedar to the boatyard. in tw- So the theory is this. That when they first arrived to the Bush Inn on that night, Saturday the 25th of March, the three butchers, Main, Platt and Lynch, heard the story of Cox's windfall. They left the bar to scheme and then came back in the wee hours to commit the crime. Not finding Cox immediately apparent in the bar, they drink with Sutton, the publican, for a while to elicit his whereabouts. Cox, in his drunkenness, has wandered from Five Sped into the backyard of the inn where the three roll up on him and split him in two with an axe. Yep. The body... When found, was said to have been expertly carved. Like a butcher did it. Like as if a butcher had done it. The dismemberment of the body and the severing of the spine would have been second nature to an experienced butcher-like Maine. He was also the only person who had been at the bar the night of the murder, but not arrested. He lived close by to the bar, but was not one of the people who showed up to help search for the head. He would have been able to plant blood evidence in Fife's room to frame him, if indeed it was a frame, like... Fife suggested as he had access to copious amounts of blood from the slaughterhouse having stolen so Cox's money like yeah exactly having stolen Cox's money and murdered him a savvy man like Patrick Maine would have known to keep it secret until the public's memory of the event had faded the reason then for the public's apparent dislike of Maine and his bad reputation was not just to his rough nature but due to the fact that he was a murderer so we kind of have two options here was it Fife or was it Maine and I have issues with both. both eh? both. Possibilities are not quite right. Zane, can you please stop drinking your slurping <laughs> while I'm trying to podcast? It's very distracting. So joyous. Firstly, why would Fife murder and dismember his friend and then throw the body parts all around the backyard like a big old idiot? Surely. <laughs> Surely, as the one person at the bar who knew Robert Cox, he would have known that he would have been the prime suspect. There is a perfectly good Brisbane River one foot away from your door that you could just drown him in and kick the body out into float. So why would you dismember the body, chuck it over the fence, move it down the street, walk back up so there's a blood trail going from your backyard in the location in which you live and work, put your... Intestine particle and shirt particle in the well which also has blood stains on it. Like, why would you do that, five stupid person? But also, on the other hand, who could rock up to a crime scene, like a backyard of somewhere that was covered in blood and intestine parts and be like, well, it can't have been the guy that lives here. So it's like
1: Is Either it he was does a it help old him? idiot. Otherwise or... he was
0: mad, stupid and a bad crim.
1: <laughs> 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 or somebody was setting up. Can I just say up. Zane is crying with laughter? It's the best.
0: I'm actually being very serious. This is a serious <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, so it seems like overkill. And just a tad. Just a little bit. Um, the fact that there's intestines out, that's a lot. Yeah, and like to cut the ab to sever the ribs, all that kind of thing. Questionable, 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 lemon questionable. I had
1: appendix surgery and that makes me like
0: Grr. Yeah. You weren't even like – you didn't even die. No, I felt like I was dying. Um, also, if he did indeed steal the 300 to 350 pounds, they never found it in his room. So oh, is, five,
1: There was no sign of the money.
0: No, no money was ever found.
1: And like where are you going to put it in 1840-something? Yeah, know? when
0: you live in a room in the a pub, you know what I mean? And yeah. they did search the pub. Um, so if Maine was the one that did it, if Maine and his butcher mates roll up – and are like, okay, we're going to kill Cox. We're going to smash a few beers first, but then we're going to go kill this guy. Mm. Wouldn't Fife, the cook, who Sutton testified was awake the whole time, have heard them the do The murder, it? if
1: the room is there, definitely. Yes,
0: so it's in the backyard of the Bush Inn. Dismemberment, not the quietest of activities. Definitely not. No. You'd think you'd scream. You'd probably. Yeah, so... I mean, why didn't anybody else like the Charlotte Sutton or the other the guy who owned the pub? Nobody and like heard how far anything.
1: Because pro- you said Maine lived nearby, so surely yeah. there would have been other houses. You'd
0: think so, but I think by nearby they didn't necessarily mean like the next set of apartments. Yeah. I think they just meant kind of geographic location, right?
1: Um, yes. So
0: also the blood stains that were found in Fife's room when he was allegedly you know sleeping in there. It could. If it was Patrick Mayne who put the bloodstains there, so like he's murdered Robert Cox, walked back in covered in blood because he would have been like dripping for there to be bloodstains. Again, five up and about at this point in time, not hearing or seeing anything, Mm. not being like, look at these bloodstains on my floorboards that I didn't put there. Iffy, questionable, questionable, questionable. 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 Also one point that, makes people think that it was Patrick Maine was the fact that the doctor said that the body had been carved expertly, but this is just my speculation. It could have been like, yeah, A, how do you sever something into expertly? Was it particularly clean? Was it neat? Like, did it look like somebody had done it before or was it just like a okay-ish cut? It wasn't mangled or anything like that because you know else who knows how to cut meat cooks. So that doesn't really Lean me to think any particular way. So Done it. it another issue? Is that Patrick Maine was there with two mates? Did they help? Did they split the money? Did they split the money? Did they become weirdly rich and famous inexplicably? I'd like to find out. I don't know how. Um, did they just help main out because they were being bros? Maybe they didn't know about the money. main just got them into it. And then another question is whether or not Cox actually ever had any money to begin with. So he was supposed to have this 300 and Yeah, big old fibs. Um, So first and foremost, supposed to have 300 to 350 pounds, but he wouldn't have had 300 literal pounds because there were no banks. No. So he would have had like a note of paper that said like, I owe you 300 pounds. Um, So yes. So Sutton and his daughter thought that basically Robert Cox was telling a big old lie. When he said that he'd sold all this and stuff like that. Also who can cut 16 to 17,000 feet of cedar and just get all the money to them himself. Yeah. Nobody else helped him. How long did that take him? Eight years. Like (laughs) how long that it's a laborious job. Um, Oh, she said laborious. It's the second time I've said laborious this episode. Actually. Look at that. Um, I've read the dictionary. No, I haven't. Uh, (laughs) And there was a blacksmith named Joseph Lydiard who gave evidence that Cox had told them on the Saturday of his death that he only had sixpence to his name and they actually hadn't paid for all the alcohol that he drank at Sutton's place. So we kind of only have like a bit of rumor and fun times saying that he had £300. We have testimony saying that he had sixpence.
1: And that's a big difference between sixpence, sixpence and, and three hundred fifty pounds. That's, that's pretty. That's a lot.
0: Yes. And so all of Cox's papers and personal effects were collected and examined, and there was no evidence that he ever sold a bunch of timber. So there was no invoice or receipt or like, thanks for the timber, mate, or anything like that. And then there was also no information about how Maine paid for the butcher shop. So the whole thing is that he stole the money, he bought the butcher shop, then he became rich and famous, right? Right. Famous I might be exaggerating. He became rich. Infamous. Rich and infamous, that should be the title of this podcast. Yes. Um so there yeah, so there's no evidence, there's no evidence to say that he used stolen money and there's no evidence to say that he used regular non-stolen money. And also Maine didn't pay like sticker price for the butcher shop establishment. He didn't pay Like he didn't buy the shop. He bought the goodwill of the butcher shop, which is basically like you pay the value of like the good name of the butcher shop and the customer base, like what that's worth. That's what you pay. And the guy who was selling the butcher shop was like, I'm not making any money. I don't want this butcher shop anymore. Here you go. So he probably didn't actually pay all that much for it. No. So um, very interesting. So. A uh, establishment on Queen Street, like around the same time and location, cost around £240, which fits nicely into that £300 category, but yeah. he did not buy the actual establishment. Um, so he could have just paid a small amount of money for this butcher shop and then got crazy rich from those three shipfuls of immigrants that came. Wanting stew. Wanting stew. Those stew-needing Irish folk who came not long after. I mean, I love, a, I love
1: a stew. I do
0: love a stew. I love a stew.
1: Um.
0: So 99.9% of the information from this ca- from this episode came from a book called The Main Inheritance, which was written by Rosamund Simon in 1997, link in the show notes. Um, this is the book that kind of made the story popular and mm. I think probably why there are so many like main ghost tour things that you can do in Brisbane because it wasn't necessarily the most known story before then. Um, so the book really hinges on – the fact that Patrick Mayne allegedly confessed to this crime on his deathbed. Who
1: did he confess it to? Exactly, Jess.
0: Who did he confess <laughs> it to? It never says in the book. It says that he confessed on his deathbed and then at the point of his dying, she lists a whole bunch of people who like, could have popped in to see him and stuff like that. But she never says. And then he confessed to old mate. Just says that he confessed on his deathbed. Says who, Rosamond? Says who, Rosamond. She had claimed at one point in time. Was she there? Yes, she's a time traveller. <laughs> she had claimed at one point in time that she had seen the diary that Main's priest kept in a library and said that she had seen the entry relating to the confession. Right. But then somebody else was like, seems suspicious. And she was like, oh, yeah, well, I saw it, but it was upside down. So I can actually read it, but I know it can t- confess it. And then later on, she was like, no, nah, I didn't see. Did I see she fibbed. I,
1: a- I think she told the fib. Jesus. You yes. can't just do that and write a book.
0: Yes, you can't just do that and write a book. I'll also have a link to that situation so you can verify that I'm not just slandering this woman's good name for shits and giggles on this podcast. Um, the book is great. It's really well written. Lots of information. There's a few things like the confession that she just goes, and then he confessed. And then I'm like, I just read a full chapter about, like, how much butcher premises cost and all this bullshit about, you know, and you can't tell me who he actually confessed to. I've read the address of every property Patrick Maine owned in the entirety of Brisbane and surrounds, and you can't tell me who con- he confessed the murder to, lady. Like, come on. yes. Not that I'm in my feelings about it.
1: Oh, no, not at all. Yes.
0: So she states it over and over again. Um, there's only two like historical references to a confession, um, like from history. The first was from 1888, which was 40 years after the actual murder and 23 years after the confession, which was in the book The Genesis of Queensland written by Henry Stuart Russell. And basically he said, this guy died uh, and somebody, and an innocent man was hung And somebody said, I watched that guy get hung instead of me, and I did it. But he doesn't name who it was. Who it was. And again, in 1895, another confession. The confession was mentioned again in a different book uh, in the early days by John James Knight, who also didn't reference any confessor by name. It kind of said like, oh, we'll never speak his name again. So if it was such common knowledge that Maine killed Cox, and that's why everybody was a little bit questionable about him, um, and also, he had died 30 years prior to the point of you publishing your book. Why would you not public, like, publish that information? Why would you not be like, and it was Patrick Maine what done killed him? Like, just to be dramatic, just to be like, oh, I'm going to write this book where I say that somebody like, let an innocent man get hung, but I'm going to wait 100 years for somebody else to write a book, and she's going to actually say, you know, who yeah. it was that had done done it. So... We've got a confession that probably didn't happen. Two sources saying that an innocent man was hung for the crime and somebody else confessed to it, but they don't actually say who it was. I don't think Patrick... Don't you? No. I definitely don't think there's enough evidence to say it. It sounds very convenient
1: for this guy. Like, I felt bad for Fife. Yeah. But then you think about it, you're like, "Mm." you lived there, the blood was in the room. If it wasn't you, do you hear anybody? How
0: did you not hear somebody get dismembered in your backyard? Yeah. You know? And there wasn't like a point... Yeah. No, I don't reckon. Um, so. I think it's a great
1: story. Great story.
0: Great story. Part of the reason why the story lives on the way it does, um, we touched on at the start of the episode. Patrick Maine had five children. They all had singularly depressing lives. Um, they all chose to remain unmarried. Rosamund Simon, the author of the book, says it's because they made some kind of pact that like. Didn't the- they
1: have a sickness?
0: Yeah, the sickness was like the insanity, the madness. Right. Um. So she says that, yeah, they all were like, okay, well, the madness stops with us, basically. Two of his children did suffer from some kind of mental illness, definitely, um, Rosanna and Isaac Main. They both – Rosanna was a uh, sister at Sisters of Mercy and in her later life was – quite unwell. She had to be res- physically restrained at all times. Um, Isaac Maine had been a solicitor, but he had to quit all that business. Um, and he was in asylums and deteriorated very badly in his middle ages and ended up hanging himself. Um, so it's James and Mary Amelia Maine who are the more famous Maines to us these days. So it was these two who uh, decided to, as a gift – purchase a big block of land at st lucia and donate it to the university so um they didn't as the story often goes they didn't own uq they didn't buy uq they owned the land they bought the land and donated it to the unit if you go on a ghost tour though this is this is the point that they'll go, yeah
1: ghost, ghost, the, ghost tour yes, ghost tour <laughs> I feel
0: like – I know last episode we were like, let's go on a ghost tour. But now that I've read and done all this information about the mains, I can't participate in that. Why? Because, Are you scared? No, I'm not scared. I just don't think that there was anything – Mysterious oh, Or enough. ghostly about it. So, yeah, so the main – it was the main children who were often referred to as, like, the Mad Mains everything like that. Mm. And, I mean, two of them suffered from mental illness. They were a bit kooky, but I don't think calling them – apart from the two ones that were mentally ill, who were mentally ill. The other ones, they were just, like, not – you know, they just didn't get married. You know what I mean? They weren't that kooky. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rosamund Simon says that the bad reputation followed them throughout their lives, and there was all this drama that the university, like, didn't actually want them to buy them the land because they didn't want to be associated with the mains and the bad reputation and the murder and blah 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 but I couldn't find she spoke to she lists all her sources in the book which is very nice she spoke to some people whose like grandparents were alive at the time and parents were alive at the time and stuff like that and who remembered the mains and did say that people were like oh well they thought they were a little bit weird but I couldn't kind of independently verify any sort of like Everybody knew that Patrick Mayne murdered somebody and they were all crazy as cut snakes and they were all spooky as all hell kind of reputation. So I think think what has happened with this case is that nothing happened. Everybody chatted about it. It's 150-odd years later and we're still chatting about it and everything has just Chinese whispered into the most enormous nonsense. I just don't think that you can say... Patrick Mayne can confess to killing somebody. No, I, when you don't have any I evidence thought, to say it.
1: See, this is exactly what you mean. Like the Chinese whisper thing. I thought he had actually confessed to someone, and it was confirmed that not confirmed. Exactly. Like that's what I thought had happened. And mm. then the madness thing. Like I thought. I don't know. I thought I'd heard someone say that there was syphilis, and they couldn't. Well, people did
0: think because one of the um, symptoms of syphilis is that you go a bit nutso at the end so one we don't know how Patrick Maine died we just know that he got sick he was acting odd and then he died fairly quickly what happened to his wife his wife is actually an OG and I'm glad you brought her up so she after Patrick Maine died she was like well I'm technically head of the household now and she was just really smart with business and management and stuff like that so he had he had a huge debt to the Bank of New South Wales, he had all these other things that were just not going quite right. People were like, Mary, sell everything now. And she was like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And I'm going to sell things when the time is right. And so she like recouped back their fortune.
1: Oh, wow. So by just
0: waiting until the right time to sell certain businesses, like so she kept the butcher shop for a really long time up until it became too intense for her to have to care for. And then she, you know, she kept some agricultural lands for a while and then sold it when it was most proper.
1: Like going to be most profitable, Mary.
0: Yeah, she was really, really cool. All the siblings were quite. All the main children see like quite interesting people. Who all did you know? Yeah. All, like one was a nun, one and was a solicitor, a one was a doctor.
1: Even though the majority of it could be made up, you and... could read the book. Yeah, I will. I'm like, I'm interested now that I know that mainly all that I mainly. mainly. A- a- um, that the shit I know is probably just rumour and conjecture. It's probably not true.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's, Excellent work. That's my consensus. Sorry to everybody in Brisbane. <laughs> I've decided that Patrick Maine didn't kill that. It just doesn't really make sense.
1: I mean, it, it's nice to have – well, it's not nice, but like it's – It's a great it's, legend and a great yeah, story. it's – interesting to have legends like that and like I don't know it gives it, it gives our town like a bit of character you yeah know?
0: exactly and I think with all these legends and stuff like that once once you peel it back and see what it's based it's on it's quite
1: normal it's quite usually not much guy killed a guy because it's just maybe and also maybe. maybe there wasn't any money and maybe maybe there wasn't I was about to say and
0: maybe nothing happened but Robert Cox did die he did die RIP Robert Cox um yeah sorry dude <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Murder do you have any final thoughts um I just thought you did a
1: good job. Thanks. I really love. good. I'm glad. Yeah. Thank you to all of our listeners. Oh my god. As of today, so we film these film, lol. We record these 2 weeks in advance from us releasing them. Ish. So it's like the 25th of July now. And we got our numbers at the start of the week and we have over 1000 subscribers, which is Insane. Completely nuts. So, thank you
0: for listening. Thank you for telling your friends. Oh, it's so cool. Thank you for liking our Facebook
1: page. Yeah. Please engage with us more. We, like, I posted a thing and I was, like, expecting people to write stuff and they didn't. People liked it and that's great. But, like, please validate us through social media. Please. We would appreciate it And remember, you can send us, and as Ellen mentioned, you can email us at murderinthelandofoz at gmail.com. You can let us know um, what we really would like to know or what I would like to know um, is because we've got one more case before we finish in Queensland. If there's any Queensland cases that we missed, and bear we can in come mind, to- something that I want people to understand with how we choose our cases is, um, and I, I don't know if I speak for Ellen, but I speak for myself, that I don't really want to do too much that involves children. Nope. Um, I find it very distressing and I just don't think it's very – I don't know. I just don't want to talk about it. So bear, bear that in mind. If you have any interesting cases that you would like us to talk about or, you know, revisit, we could do like a short, like 20 minute and read your emails about cases that you're interested in because we would really like to know.
0: Absolutely. And if there's any cases that you think we'd be interested in, but maybe don't necessarily have enough meat for a whole episode, we can do a little, uh, we do a little app. A little mini episode. We'll a little mini app just for you. Yeah. Please contact we'll us. It We're so lonely. Fifi's,
1: Fifi's episode. Fifi Chats. Fifi Chats. Oh, she's digging her claws into me. She knew I was talking about her. Um, so we have one more episode in Queensland. We decided to do an extra episode after my good friend, friend of the podcast, Jonathan Hickey, let me know about this thing. And then I spoke to my mother about it. And um, when this had happened, my parents actually were on their honeymoon. And so she was like, Oh my gosh, yes, you should so talk about that. Is the um it, basically the title of the case is gonna be The Brisbane Lesbian Vampire Killer. Which, you know. Lesbian vampire killers. Woo! We're doing it. Not that it's fun and exciting. No, it's not. But um, I didn't really know much about it. So we're going to tackle that in the next case. And then we move on to New South Wales. So exciting. What? I've lived in New South Wales. So I,
0: I will still have some personal connections. I have not. And
1: I dislike Sydney. Everybody As dislikes
0: Sydney. No offense, but fuck Sydney.
1: <laughs> I mean, Brisbane's the worst. But at least our, like, um footpaths like aren't so worn down by people that they're slippy slidey because like I fall over every time I go to Sydney. Come on Sydney. Fix your footpaths.
0: (laughs) Also your housing situation is out of control. Yeah that's mental. We'll see
1: you next fortnight for the Brisbane Lesbian Vampire Killer. We'll miss you. Bye. Bye. My name's Liz Keo, and I have my life together. My name's Curtis Lang, and by all rights, I shouldn't be alive. And I want to find out what it's like to walk one mile in your shoes. Fair enough. If that's what you really want, then that's on you. I'm just so concerned for you, Liz. What are we going to do in this podcast?
0: We're going to be swapping friends, diets, cars, phones, underwears,
1: jobs. Oh, man. Have you ever seen Freaky Friday? It's pretty much that film. We're going to swap, yeah, these aspects of our lives and... Oh, man, I'm really concerned for how it's going to turn out for you, let me tell you. Yes, well, we are going to be every Friday dropping those ones, so put it
0: in your diaries, put them in your calendars, in yeah, your I, notes. Yeah, I
1: definitely keep a diary and a calendar. That's definitely something I do. I do.
0: I have my life together That is. Well,
1: <laughs> I don't. See you next week.